0: You look like an angel. You may have said that before. You may have said that about some child or some infant. You may have said that to somebody before and said, Man, you look like an angel. And when you say that, most people think, Oh, that, that's got to be a great compliment. Because when we think of angels, Hollywood has depicted them as the most beautiful beings in the world, hasn't it? I mean, when you see them, they're, they always seem to be real, real pretty. But now if we take a look at Scripture, I'm not really sure that that might be a compliment to say you look like an angel. In fact, now there are several times in Scripture where we see the depiction of angels. We we see it in Hebrews 13 and verse 2 where obviously even today we could be entertaining angels and unaware. So obviously there are some angels that look a bit like us. But then there are also different kinds of angels throughout Scripture. And in particular, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, there are these creatures called cherubim. Now, again, that's been hijacked by Hollywood because when we think of cherubs, we think of fat little babies with wings. And that's not how Ezekiel depicts them. Ezekiel depicts them as creatures with long legs, with four wings, and with four heads. Could you imagine if that kind of angel appeared to you? One with the head of a man, one with the head of an ox, one of an eagle, and one of a lion. Could you imagine something like that showing up? Now you might understand when every time an angel appeared, they said, do not fear. But that was a cherub. And then there's also the seraphim that are mentioned in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And seraphim actually have six wings, with two they fly, two they cover their face, and two they cover their bodies in order to honor the Lord our God. And so we see these different depictions of angels in Scripture, cherubim, seraphim. We see also those that appeared at the tomb of Jesus. And it said that their bodies, their appearance glowed. In fact, it says that they were white like lightning, according to Matthew chapter 28, when they appeared, these angels, at the tomb of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28 and verse 3, it simply says it this way. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Man, there was something incredible about it, but he just glowed from being in the presence of God. Now, we're going to see that about a gentleman that we're going to talk about today. His name is Stephen. Stephen. And his face is going to have the appearance of an angel. And I hope and pray today that if somebody saw you, they might say that about you. But you might think of it as being a little bit different than the way you've always thought about it before. So let's take a look in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15 today. We're going to look at three discoveries about the opposition against Stephen. We begin first in verse 8 with the fullness of Stephen. Look in verse 8. It says, And Stephen... Full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, we've already read about Stephen earlier in Acts 6. We've read about him being chosen as one of the seven to fulfill the role of a deacon and serve tables. Now Stephen is in a different form. He's actually going out to preach and to debate with those in the land. And it says, and Stephen. Now what's interesting is when I told you in biblical times, names meant something. They didn't just pick a name that was popular. Typically they would pick a name that was something that God had given to them to give to their children. Or it was a prophecy about those children or something they had hoped for them. And Stephen literally means crown. A crown. So his parents obviously thought there was something very special and precious about their son. They thought maybe one day he would rise to great power or something. So they named him Crown. What they did not know is he would be the first to wear the martyr's crown for Jesus Christ. But they called him Stephen. And they give these characteristics about Stephen. He was full of faith. Full of faith. What what kind of faith are they talking about? They're talking about the absolute trust in Almighty God. But in Hebrews 11, one, it says it this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Stephen had this miraculous kind of faith. He was full of it. In fact, not only full of it in the sense of having faith, he he was much like many of the characters listed in Hebrews 11. I believe if his life had been lived a bit longer and had he been in the Old Testament, he might have been written about in Hebrews chapter 11. He would have been one of those that joined Abraham and Moses and other great Old Testament prophets and men of God and even women of God. God would have used him because he was so full of faith. He trusted in God that no matter what was coming his way, he knew that God was in control. In fact, you see that even in Stephen's sermon as he preaches in Acts 7 that we'll get to over the next several weeks. He talks about God's imminent preeminence in creation, how God created all things. And then he goes from Abraham and Moses and shows that God was in the midst of the law and how God's grace was even being bestowed back in those times. He brings it all the way up to Jesus Christ by the time he gets to the end of the message saying that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. He had such faith that he preached with such bold That it made men angry. I'm gonna tell you a lot of times when preachers preach with boldness, it makes people angry. But we can have boldness because of who stands with us. We can have boldness, much like Elijah, that when we face the 450 prophets of Baal, we know with God on our side, we're still in the majority. We know that we can be victorious because we got faith in the one who's in control of the whole situation. Stephen was full of faith. In other words, he was so full of faith, people saw it in him, they believed it about him, and it just made them want to look even more at him. Stephen was a man full of faith. Now, some would say, well, you know, John, the actual Greek there for the word faith is actually a word that we use for the word grace, That he's actually saying that he's full of grace. Well, I'll give you that as well. He's full of faith and he's full of grace if we just get right down to it. There was another one that was full of grace that we see in the gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says this about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you're talking about you're putting Stephen in the same category as Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, we should be able to put you in the same category as Jesus. You should look like him. You should act like him. Your character should mimic him. He was full of grace. What does that mean, full of grace? It means he was full of sharing the gospel, full of sharing the grace of God with a lost and dying world. He was filled up. He wanted everybody to know. He wasn't ashamed to preach it in front of the preachers because, guess what? Some preachers need to know Jesus. He wasn't afraid to preach it in front of all the other crowd. He wasn't afraid to preach it in front of the religious elite. He was not afraid to preach the truth of God's word and show them the grace of God. So much so that even those that defiled Jesus, even those that crucified him, he would have shown them grace. He was full of grace. We need to be a people that are full of grace. We live in a lost and dying world. We live in a world that needs to know who Jesus Christ is. There is grace for this world. There is grace for those who repent and turn from their sins. There is grace. And here's the thing. When somebody gets saved, their past is gone. As Christians, we need to recognize the past is gone. Because thank God he got rid of and deleted all of your past too, right? If he deleted our past, he's full of grace. We need to be full of grace. In other words, we need to have the spirit of Stephen where our desire is to reach a lost and dying world. There is no one outside of the realm of God's grace and his love. No one. Stephen was full of grace, but he was also full of the spirit. It says power, and power. The idea here is obeying God. In fact, we already have seen that Stephen was full of this power because it was the Spirit's power that was working in him. In Acts 6.3, he says, Go find seven men among you of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. You go turn over to Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 as Stephen is finishing up his message. And in verse 55, it says this, and he being full of the Holy Spirit. So this is something that was imminent in Stephen's life. He was filled up with this great power that comes from God. I want you to understand the problem with Christians today is many of you are unplugged from the power source. John chapter 15 tells us that if we want to bear much fruit, we need to be implanted into the true vine. We need to be tapped in to the power source. God has given us the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. We need to be plugged in. We need to be set on fire. And we need to go out there and share the glory of God. Let me tell you, the problem with many Christians today is we have allowed other people quote-unquote Christians, to quench the fire of God in our lives. We've allowed other fuddy-duddy Christians to extinguish the flames because they don't want to get on fire anymore. They hear somebody get a little bit excited, and they think, we don't want you to get excited. We don't want you to be happy for the Lord. We want you to look like all the rest of us. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us we need to be full of the Spirit. Let me tell you something. If you find somebody that's full of the Spirit, get close to them. Learn a little bit about them, and maybe some of it will jump off of them onto you. We need to understand that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was excited about the things of God. He wanted the power of God to move in him mightily. And that's why there were many wonders and signs done through Stephen. Stephen was able to do miracles like the apostles had done. He was able to see God do amazing things in and through his life. And as you tap in and you are used by the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand, you better expect opposition. You better expect difficulties. You better expect hardships. Some of you say, well, you know, I've been a Christian for quite some time, and I've not experienced any difficulties. Are you alive? Because if you are a Christian, and you are alive, and you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to experience difficulties, hardships, sufferings, pains. You're going to go through all of these things. Why? Because when you tap in to what God wants you to do, there is a person out there that hates you more than anything. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I'll tell you, some of you, he's already stolen your joy. Don't let him steal much else. Get back on fire. i tell you, I love the old preacher one time. They came to him and they said, preacher said, you just always seem to be on fire for the Lord. And he said, I just never let anybody quench it. I never let anybody put it out. I stay on fire for the Lord. Why? Because God has been so good. And as that song says, I'll still praise him. I'll still praise him. We serve an amazing God. Stephen was full of power and faith and did great wonders and signs among the people. And guess what? It brought him great, uh, great difficulties. And that's where we come to the second discovery, and that is the foes of Stephen. Look at verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Syrians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. So there arose this group of men. They came to Stephen to begin to debate with him because that's what the word there, contend or disputing is about. It's an actual debate that they called. So they were willing to talk with one another and discuss these things. They came with the freedmen. These were the descendants of the Jewish slaves that were captured in Pompeii in 63 B.C. and taken to Rome. And then we see that there were some from the Syrians and Alexandrians, which are two major cities in North Africa, Cilicia and Asia, Roman provinces of Asia Minor. In other words, those that were from these synagogues were Jewish men who formulated a synagogue with other men to worship God, but yet they didn't believe in Jesus. And so when they see Stephen coming in and preaching this, they want to debate it. They want to understand it. They want to ask questions. And so they begin a debate. And look at verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. In other words, there really wasn't much of a debate. I don't know if you've ever been to a debate before, but I love it. I I love to watch some of these Christians debate atheists. Uh, One of the best ones was when Ken Ham uh, debated Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye looked like the biggest idiot in the world. I mean, he proved his educational level when Ken Ham got a hold of him and showed him that he was absolutely wrong, that there was nothing he believed that was accurate and true. He showed him from Scripture, again, how God created everything, how everything was in order. But when I think about this, that's exactly what Stephen did with these men. It was Stephen versus a whole bunch of people standing up against him, and it says they couldn't even stand against him. They couldn't stand. Why? Because when you stand on the truth, you will not fall. Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 7. When you stand on the truth, you are standing on a solid foundation. When those stand on things that are not truth, they are on sinking sand. They have no solid footing and they will fail. Stephen was this kind of man, filled with wisdom and the spirit, so that when he spoke, they could not resist him Jesus had already told his disciples that when they faced people like this, they would not have to worry. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour which you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. It wasn't Stephen. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And let me tell you something. There's not a man in the world that can compete with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. There's not a man in the world that can compete with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's not a man in the world that can even stand on equal footing or even close to equal footing as the Holy Spirit. Stephen was filled. Stephen was used. And when they could not resist him, look at verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They secretly induced him. This is exactly what they did to Jesus. When they could not refute him, when they could not stand against him, they decided to lie about him. In Matthew chapter 26, we see this being displayed in verses 59 to 61. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. Isn't that amazing? They couldn't even get their lies together. But yet they secretly induced them. We we can't win this debate. So you know what? We'll turn the tide. We'll say that he's blaspheming. In fact, according to Old Testament scripture, Leviticus 24, 16, blasphemy deserves stoning. It deserves dying. And so that's what they were hoping to do was to have him stoned right then and there. And look at what they say, that he blasphemed against what? Blasphemed against Moses and God. Isn't it amazing they put Moses first? They put the law before God. He's blaspheming Moses. Well, how's he blaspheming Moses? He's speaking against the law. They believed the law could save, and Stephen was going to show them the law doesn't save. Stephen was going to show them the law only points to their sinfulness and shows them their need for the grace of God. Let me tell you something. I don't care how much of the Old Testament you try to follow, and I've had people, when I go knocking door to door, when I was in Vermont one time, we were knocking on a door, and this lady comes to the door, and I said, do you know what it takes for a person to go to heaven? She said, obey the Ten Commandments. I said, have you done that? As long as I follow the law, I'm good. Let me tell you something. I guarantee you every one of you in here has broken every one of the Ten Commandments. I would almost guarantee it. Oh, I've never stolen anything before. I bet you hadn't returned something you borrowed either. (laughs) Guilty. I'm sorry. (laughs) But you think about it. He was, he stirred up the people. They were upset with him. You, you're standing against Moses and against God. Now you might say, well, how was he speaking out against God? Well, he spoke against the temple. He was telling them, I don't care how much you come to the temple. That's like when the preacher tells you, I don't care how much you come to church. If you don't trust in Jesus, you'll still go to hell. He didn't play around with it. I don't care if you come to the temple. I don't care if you sacrifice in the temple. I don't care if the priests pray for you. I don't care all the rituals you go through in the temple. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. If you've not surrendered to Jesus, you're in grave trouble. Stephen would proclaim that. They considered it blasphemy. Not only that, but Stephen would tell them Jesus is God. And they didn't like that. You mean that guy we crucified, that guy that was a heretic, that guy that blasphemed God? No, no, no. He didn't blaspheme God. He is God. He is the God you've been looking for. He's the God that this book tells us about. He's the one that all the prophets proclaim. And you killed him. I mean, Peter's already proclaimed that twice and they couldn't get by with it. And now Stephen is doing the same thing. No, you're blaspheming. No, no, he's not. But in verse 12, it says, and they stirred up the people. The elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. The idea of Caesar is to drag away, to seize away with violence. Now remember, they wouldn't do that with the apostles in Acts chapter 5. But at this point, they're frustrated, they're furious, and they believe if they let Stephen speak another word in front of the whole council, they're in trouble. If Stephen preaches any much longer, there might be some people get saved, and they're going to stand up against them. And they don't like that idea, so they drag him away. He's blaspheming. We've got to get him out of here. We can't let anybody else hear another word he has to say. In verse 13, it says, he goes on, They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. They posed the same thing they posed on Jesus. He said he's going to destroy the temple. And Jesus did say, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But he wasn't talking about the physical building. He was talking about himself. In fact, John chapter 2 tells us that in verses 19 and 21. He was talking about himself. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Up, Stephen, you've spoken out against the temple. You want to tear it down. You want to destroy it just like Jesus. And not only that, they even went so far as to say and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. I'm going to tell you, you better be careful in church changing customs. (laughs) Right? Everybody has their sacred cows, and they make the best hamburgers. I'm telling you, we have these customs that don't come from this book, but come from our traditions. And I'm here to tell you, if we do something that isn't a part of one of your customs, as long as you can come to me and show me from the Word of God, I'll apologize for it. But if you can't show me that it's in this book, then I will not apologize for it. You got to come with Scripture. And he stood against their customs. Now, here's the thing. They're thinking to themselves, well, how dare you stand against the law of God? How dare you stand against those things that God has told us to do? But he wasn't standing against it. He was simply saying, Jesus came to fulfill the law. In other words, you don't have to participate in the ceremonies anymore. You don't have to go to the temple and make your sacrifices anymore. There's already been one perfect sacrifice that's been made for you. You trust in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and you shall be saved. And you'll never need to worry about the rest of these animals again. Don't keep going through the customs. Don't keep going through the motions. Find grace in the one who came to save. And Stephen preached boldly but it also can get you in trouble. They stood against him, but I love verse 15. We see the face of Stephen. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Oh, they wanted to hate him. They wanted to despise him. But there was just something about him. There was something about him that stood out. And I want you to understand, I believe it was because the express image of God was upon him. Much like it was on Moses in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29. It says, and so it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and his children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregations returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments. All the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let me tell you something people can tell when you've been in the presence of God. Ladies, could you imagine not having to put on foundation because the glow of God is on you? His face shone with the brilliance of God. And I'm telling you, Paul was here, and I think Paul could see it. Because Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. Listen to this. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. I want to glow. I don't know about you. But I want people to say, you have the face of an angel, only in the sense that they can see God all over me. As Christians, that should be our desire, is for people to see God all over us. There was one other that shone brightly. In Matthew 17, his name was Jesus. When he was transfigured before the apostles, when he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, he shone brightly and he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light when you have been with god others will know it when we leave from the presence of god spending time with him it ought to radiate from us Stephen was willing to stand up against the foes. Stephen was willing to preach. And we're going to get to that message starting next week. Stephen was willing to preach with such power and fervency and spirit of God that he didn't hold back. He did not hold back. He had to speak the truth so that the people that were there would see it. And Paul would be there as they killed Stephen, but it would forever stay on his mind as he watched this young man willing to give his life for his faith. My prayer today, just a simple question I want to ask you. What does your face say about you? Does your face tell the world you've been with Jesus? I want to have the face of an angel. But not how Hollywood describes it, but how God's Word describes it.